Okay. We'd get this down. Okay. All right. Check, check, check. Okay. Let me recap really quickly where we are. We're in the middle of this series called Yes, like Sylvia just mentioned. And today we are talking, we're at answering another question, because the question all semesters, what are God's yeses to us? What does he really say? What has he really promised us? And what has he not particularly or specifically promised me? And so I want to kind of recap just, just quickly. Last week we talked about uh, God's yes was, will he keep me? Will he keep me? What does it mean to be kept by the Lord? It means to be sustained. It means to be preserved. It means to be maintained, to be cared for by the Lord. And we talked, it was a pretty impassioned message. A lot of feedback that I've gotten was like, whoa, mama, you came at us. And I intentionally did so because I think for us to walk and to journey with the Lord and not become derailed in our ministries or in our relationship with the Lord, we have to understand that this natural world is not all that there is. And we have to understand that when he promises to keep me, he's promising to keep our spirits intact until we're joined with him in heaven. But our earthly body, our earthly realities, he's not promised that my knees will not give out when I run, that I'm, not, I'm somehow going to find the anti-aging cream and I'm not going to look like a regular 45-year-old. I'll always look 27. He's not promising us that because scripture is very clear. It says in this world you'll have trouble. And it says these earthly bodies are wasting away, but our inner, inner uh, spirit is being renewed day by day. So he promises to keep us. And the week before that, it says he promises that he knows the plans, the good plans that he has for us. So we challenged ourselves to say yes back by surrendering our plans to him, our agenda, our need for control. And then the week before that, we answered the question, Lord, do you love me? And then the very first week, we talked about what were God's intentions in the beginning with us? We looked at Genesis 2 and 3 and we talked about how the Lord, his intentions were always intentions to bless us, always intentions uh, to be in relationship and fellowship with him in harmony with this world. And sin came into play and everything has been trouble since then. And so now we answer the, the question today is, Lord, will you redeem me? Will you redeem me? And the answer, of course, is yes to that question. But I want to unpack just a, a little bit for each of us. What does the word redeem mean? Because back in week one, when we looked at Adam and Eve in the garden, and when they ate the fruit, he said, don't eat it because surely you're going to die. And how did they die? They died spiritually. Because the way we connect to God is through our spirit. And so from that point on, God set out a redemption plan to get us back. And it's through Jesus. And so re to be redeemed, you might think the original definition, which is true, means to buy back, to get something back, to buy something back. But it also means other things that I want to talk about them for just a little bit. It means the act of freeing from captivity or bondage. To be redeemed means the act of freeing someone or um, releasing them from captivity or bondage. And I want you to think about that. I think that's going to relate to us today. To be redeemed means I've been freed from captivity or bondage. If you had to think about that in your own life for a minute, is there anything that you believe in your life has too much control over you? Is there anything that you battle or you struggle with more than you ought to or want to or should? 
It could be an addiction. It could be an insecurity. It could be an emotion. It could be all sorts of things, a relationship. But something that has control over you that feels like it calls the shots in your life. If that's true, then that's captivity or bondage. To redeem means to restore honor or worth of. To restore honor or worth of. And the last definition means to save from sins. To redeem, to save from sins. Isaiah 43 says this, the Lord is very clear in his answer to that question, will you redeem me? It says, now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear... For I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. I've called you by your name. You are mine. Have you heard the Lord call your name? You're mine. I will be with you, not if, but when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. They will not overwhelm you. Some of us just need to hear that today. They will not overwhelm you, regardless of how you're feeling right now about it. The truth is, they will not overwhelm you. And it says, uh, when you pass through, it says, you will not be scorched when you walk through the fire. Not if, but when you walk through the fire, you're not going to be scorched and the flame will not burn you. Why? For I, Yahweh, do you remember that? If, you were in a, if you've been with us in the past, I did a series a year ago on battle and we talked a lot about who Jehoshaphat prayed to and he said, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is it that we pray to? Who do you claim to be your God? If it's not Yahweh, it's not the God of the Holy Scriptures that we study. Yahweh. He says, I, Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior, I gave Egypt as a ransom for you, cushion Seba in your place. Why? Because you're precious in my sight, and you're honored, and I love you. You're precious, you're honored, and you're loved. And he's promised that he's redeemed you and he is redeeming you. And we'll look at that today. And I want to unpack that and I want to see it come alive in John chapter 8. And before we look at it, I want you again, ask yourself the question, is there anything in your life that you feel like is consuming you? Do you feel like you're, it's about to take you under? Do you feel like there's anything that you're being held captive to? If you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you're held captive, Scripture says in Romans, to sin. Meaning that, that that's all that you know is the life that lives apart from God. If you're in relationship with Jesus, you can still struggle with sin and you will. But there are things that feel like a monkey on our back, are there not? There are things that I battle still to this day that I think, Lord, when will I be freed from this? And there are other things in my life that I don't struggle with like I used to. And so God has saved me in the sense that I've been redeemed back in relationship with him through the blood of Jesus. But he's also redeeming me as I live out this life and he renews my spirit every day and I come into closer relationship with him year by year by year. And as I do that, as my walk with the Lord becomes more intimate and closer, He redeems me, meaning He frees me from things that I struggle with that I don't have to struggle with. Fear is a big one for me. Fear is something and anxiety that I battled really significantly in my early 20s. And I can tell you it is something that I really believe the Lord has freed me from. 
It's not something that I never struggle with, but it's not held me captive in years. And it used to hold me captive. It used to hold me captive. Some of us in the room have insecurities that we cannot seem to shake. Some of us have bitterness that we can't seem to rid ourselves of from past wounds or whatever it is. But anything that you feel like has a grip on you or that calls the shots in your lives, the Lord wants to redeem that, meaning he wants to free you from that. And how does he do it? And I want us to see how he does it. In John chapter 8, we're in verse 1. And we're going to read the story of a woman that was caught in adultery. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. Jump, with, jump in with me at verse 1. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, now the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were your pastors, your bishops, your your rectors, whatever you call them, your priests, that's who the Pharisees were. They brought in a woman. So these are those people, the ones that were supposed to experience the most acceptance and grace and mercy from. These are the, the ones that brought this woman that had been caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. They made her stand before the group. Now I want to remind you of something. When we studied week one in Genesis 2 and 3, the very first thing that happened, the result of Adam and Eve when they ate the fruit was what? What entered the picture? Shame. And does anyone remember what shame, the acronym I gave you for it? Come on, Susan. Somebody's been listening. Self-hatred at my expense. And you'll see very quickly, as soon as sin entered, their eyes were darkened, they were cut off from relationship, and they experienced shame. And what did they do as a result of that shame? What did they do? They hid from the Lord. They put scratchy leaves over their private parts because they were exposed. They were exposed. And from that point on, when the Lord was moving about in the garden, we see in Genesis 3, he called out to them because he always pursues us. And he says, where are you? And Adam said, we were hiding from you because we were ashamed and we were afraid. And from that point on, ladies, you have been born of Adam, Scripture tells us, meaning that's our generational curse. We've been born, that's our ancestors. You know how you're born, and, and as a woman, as you've grown up, you thought, I'll never talk like my mom did, or I'll never do those things, and you catch yourself. There are generational patterns that move through our line, are there not? Well, let me tell you something. Spiritually speaking, as you were born of Adam, generationally, you are born into sin. So it does, you don't have to teach yourself to experience shame. You automatically experience it. My daughter had heart surgery at age three. At age three. And I'll never forget her coming home from preschool feeling ashamed of her scar because a kid pointed it out. I didn't have to teach her that. Insecurities just bubble up, don't they? All of this relates to a disconnection from the Lord resulting from sin. And so right here in this, in this moment when Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 and 3 said we were hiding because we were ashamed, what they were trying to avoid was exposure. At all costs, exposure. And that's what we've done ever since. We are really good at image management. And so we do everything we can to keep ourselves from being exposed in a way that feels out of control, that we didn't get to say, this is not the vulnerability that I want to show you. I want to keep this quiet. I want to keep this to myself. If you're not sure that you struggle with shame, 
I'm just, if I had the power and just put up here like a CNN ticker tape, just our thoughts in the last 30 seconds, how many of us would panic? <laughs> Some of us would be like, mm, she's looking a little dumpy up there. Oh, I wonder if she's put on a few. No, I'm just kidding. That's my insecurity going, oh, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. But really, though, it's like it's just, it's a constant avoidance of exposure. We don't want to be exposed. Here's this woman in this day and age that's been caught in adultery. And what did they do? They exposed her. They exposed her. And, and here's what's so humiliating about it is because the enemy has taught us to believe the lie that if you're exposed before the Lord, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. And so she's coming to the light unwillingly, and she thinks it's about to be the ruin of her. Says they made her stand before the group. They made her stand before the group. What is the one thing that would horrify you if I brought you up here and made you stand before the group and share that? Reveal that. Takes me that long to think about some things in my own life. What is it that we want to keep in the dark because of shame? This woman's sins have been found out and she is standing in the light in front of everyone caught in adultery. Who knows if she's clothed or not? And they made her stand before the group. And what makes me so sad about this is these are the religious leaders that have done that. The ones that should have protected her, that should have brought mercy to her. But here's why they can't do that. is because they've not ever connected to Jesus. They don't understand mercy and grace in their own life. And so they cannot give it out. This is true for us. Here's the thing. In our Western world, we live in a society where we are in church. We know the right answers. We've got, we've got a, somewhat of an understanding. Some of us have walked longer than others. But here's what grieves me time and time again, and I put myself in the group, is that we can be the hardest people on one another. Because we still believe the lie that at the core, God is, is disgusted by us, he's disappointed, and he rejects us because of our own messy, sinful lives. And the enemy's like, if I can continue to get her to believe that, she'll stay hidden in the dark. She won't walk in freedom. She won't experience the redemption that was bought for her, and therefore she won't be a threat to me. And so he works really hard and really good at it. And so they brought her, they stood her up before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? See, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. This is what's sick about this story to me, is that they don't even really care about this woman. They're not, their biggest concern is not that she's been caught in the act of adultery. Their chief goal is to frame Jesus. And so they're willing to use this woman, expose her, humiliate her, just so that they can put Jesus on the spot and say, now what are you going to do about this? Because, see, in the law of Moses, they're trying to nail the fact that he's not God because he's claiming to be God. And so they're saying, okay, if you're really God, in the law of Moses, it says you're supposed to stone people caught in the act of adultery. Are you going to do that? 
Jesus says in Revelation, Behold, I make all things new. I'm coming with a new covenant. I'm coming with a new system. And so they're trying to frame him at the expense of her. It's not really even about her adultery. And this is what I love about Jesus. He can handle both of the things going on at one time. Watch how he handles this. It says, Jesus then bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, I want you to picture the scene for just a minute. He's teaching in front of a large audience. A large audience. And he's probably in the middle of talking. And they walk up. I just imagine if someone interrupts me midstream as I'm teaching, it's very disjointing. And they walk up with this woman caught in adultery and immediately he reads their hearts. He knows the situation. He knows their motives. And he knows exactly how to react. I'm wondering what I would have done in that situation if I'm in the middle of teaching and someone comes up and says, what are you going to do about this? And puts me on the spot like that. It could be really rattling, but not for God. And so Jesus bends down and he starts to write on the ground with his finger. Now, commentators have all sorts of opinions about if he was even writing anything or what he was doing. Here's the thing that we know about Jesus and we know his character based on what we see in Scripture. Is it one of the things that he always does is he restores dignity back to the person. And so I believe he bends down and he begins to write on the ground to take eyes off of her and onto the ground. To save her. Here's the thing that you and I need to know about Jesus. Part of his plan in redemption for you and for me will always involve exposure. It will always involve exposure because if you don't bring it to the light, he can't do anything about it. So it will always involve exposure, but it will never involve humiliation. Shame, humiliation. That's not who he is. That's not his character. That's not the way he moves toward me, and that's not the way he moves toward you. And so the thing that I love about Jesus is that he knows redemption has come to this woman's house today. She thinks death has come to her house. And he says, no, I'm going to give you life in place of where you thought you were finding life. So he bends down and he starts writing in the ground. And I also, I don't, I'm putting my own thoughts onto this, but I think probably too just to mess with these religious leaders. Just to mess them up. Just to throw them off course. So he bends down, he doesn't speak to him, he just starts to, to do something in the ground. Verse 7, it says, And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down again and he wrote on the ground. Let any of you who is without sin be the first to th throw a stone at her. You know, one of the things that has been so troubling as we're watching this election season unfold, are the huge boulders being thrown at each other, right? And many of them are done by the Christian world, men and women. And it's just, it's, um, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It, it feels like it's no longer about the platform. It's all personal, all the time. And what's um, incredibly shocking is the way Christians can react when their hot buttons are pushed. And we're human. It's not that... But I just wonder if we do that because we ourselves have lost sight or maybe have never had the experience that this woman is about to have with Jesus. Which begs the question for each of us in the room today. Have you ever found yourself found out? Have you ever been caught? You ever been discovered? 
Have you ever reached the lowest point and you think this is awful? Have you ever found yourself in a pit and you thought, I never thought I would be here? Because you and I both know is that you can't reside in those pits in the dark without someone knowing. Your parents, your peers, somebody. It, it, you, you, you just can't. We're too connected. And so there always tends to be humiliation surrounding our exposure. And I just wonder if, you, if it takes you very long to think back. I, oh man, it doesn't take me long to think back at times where I'm like, how, how did I end up here? How did I end up here? And even if it was just me in a room by myself, I'm never alone. Psalm 139 says, I can go up to the heights of heaven and the Lord's presence is with me and I can make my bed in hell and his presence is still with me. And so I just wonder if in all of our efforts to be good girls, to keep it together, to maintain our image, to protect ourselves from exposure, I just wonder if it's never worked for you at one point in your life and you found yourself exposed. If you found yourself exposed. Think for a minute of what that felt like. It's an awful, scary feeling, is it not? When you're exposed and you think, oh, I swore I would never do that. I made fun of girls for doing that. I judged others for that, and here I sit. I never thought that we would be in this place. I always thought we would have the marriage that would be sterling, that others would want. I always thought my kids would be the leaders. My kids would be the ones that made the right decision. I always thought that my husband's career would be stable. I don't know what exposure feels like or what it is that has to come in your life to make you feel exposed. Maybe it's that one thing you've always struggled with and someone discovered it. But here's the thing that I know that's true about this woman that's true about us is oftentimes what leads us down these paths are core needs that God has wired into us. A need for love, a need for acceptance, a need for purpose, a need for security. And this woman is probably so starved for love and affection and self-worth that she finds it in this man. And she's now exposed. She's now exposed. Because the thing that drives us always are those core needs. Always are those core needs. And when they're not being met, we do whatever it takes to make that pain go away. And so she's now exposed. And she thinks, probably like you may think, that God only cares about our behavior. And so like these Pharisees, that God must be like them because they're the spiritual leaders and all they care about is what she's doing wrong. And she's totally exposed and Jesus is about to show her a different way. Again, he stoops down, he asks them, any of you that can throw the first stone, do it. I, anyway, verse 9, it says, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus left. 
And he was with the woman still standing there. What's interesting about this is that they all started to go away. I'm so grateful that they did. Because a lot of times we won't even stop long enough to, be, to look at our own sin to put the stone down. Right? We just keep hurling it, hurling it, and hurling it. And I'm thinking, Jesus must have had some power that I've not even tasted yet to see that all of these men would be still enough and self-aware enough that they would start to walk away. And I love it that Scripture says the oldest ones went first. Because let me tell you something. The older you get, the, the, nor, you know, the greater the stink is. You know? You just realize it stinks. It stinks. Your mess stinks. It stinks. And so the older you get, it just... I don't know that the stench gets greater. It's just that your senses become aware and you realize, yeah, I ain't all that. <laughs> and so they start to leave and they start to leave. And Jesus is left with the woman still standing there. I want to ask you this question in your own life for just a minute. Have you ever found yourself exposed and Jesus was in the room with you and you find yourself with Jesus in front of you? Have you ever found yourself at a low point, a vulnerable point, a point beyond your belief, and you discover Jesus in the place with you, in the room with you, in the, the sanctuary with you, in the car with you, in the shower with you, in the grocery store line with you? Have you ever been at that place in your life and you discover that Jesus is with you? That's the life-changing moment. That's the life-changing moment is a personal encounter with Jesus that's all your own. That's all your own. That's when redemption begins to take place. And we're going to see that in this woman's life. And I can't imagine, she's already totally humiliated. They've all left. She's probably shocked that he defended her at any level by saying, if you can cast the stone, do it. They all leave. But I'm imagining what she must be thinking. And it's, what are you going to do next? She knows what the law says. She knows she deserves to be stoned. So she's probably just knees shaking, standing there. And it says, Jesus was left with the woman, still standing there, and he straightened up and he asked her, woman, now the word woman there is an affectionate term. It's trans, it's, it kind of loses some of its meaning when we translate it in the English, but it's more of an affectionate term. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Until you are sitting in your own skin, in your own self, and you experience Jesus saying to you, I don't condemn you. Your life will not change. It's that encounter that changes everything because that's where salvation occurs. This is the day of salvation for this woman. He says, neither do I condemn you because see, we've been raised to think Jesus is going to say all sorts of things to us if we're really exposed to him. The last thing that we think he's going to say is neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. And so I'm wondering if you've ever come to a place in your own life where you've had that experience. I'll share a story with you in my own life. I was a believer following the Lord. I was in college. 
And I was just going through the motions. I was attending a Bible study, much like you are today. I was involved in my church. But everything was kind of resting in here, and nothing was moving down here. And I remember just becoming more and more angry and frustrated and just tired. Tired. And I remember at some level in my life, I was like, I just am ready to find something else. I don't know if I was looking. I don't know what I was doing. I just remember being at the end, tired of going through the motions. And I came home from Christmas break. And I started working at this sporting goods store that I'd worked at throughout high school. And I was there. And there was a guy that was working there with me. And I called him Megadeth because that's the concert t-shirt that he wore. And he was in a band. And he was a bouncer at a club. And he had long hair. And he was the antithesis of anyone I should have been with. The antithesis. He rode a motorcycle. And so here I come home from my Bible studies, from my church groups, from the ministry I was involved in, and I was talking about a whole. None of it was working. None of it was working because all of it was just stuff. It was just stuff. The encounter, the personal connection with Jesus was not growing. I was able to keep him at a distance and still be in church. We do it all the time. But sooner or later, that need that I had for affection, for love, for self-worth, for someone to say, I see you, I dig you, it was gaping. And I came home really vulnerable. And Megadeth and I had a fling that lasted all four weeks I was home. And I'm telling you, still grieves me. Still grieves me. There was nothing about me that he was interested in for more than four weeks. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you his first name. I literally couldn't tell you his first name. And I remember waking up one morning going, how did this happen? And I remember going back to college and rejoining my ministry group and we were all going and I was just heavy laden with shame. Heavy laden with shame. And I thought, Lord, I am completely disqualified now and should be on the sidelines. And I remember talking to my ministry leader and he said, why do you think God saved you? Was it because you were a cheerleader? You had a lot of friends? Because you have, I, I, I mean, why? And I thought, I, I guess I thought that for a while. And he said, he read, he opened the scriptures and he said, the heart is wicked beyond compare. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, not even one. And he said, Laura, he saved you because you needed a savior. Because you're a sinful woman just like I'm a sinful man. And I'm telling you, in that office, as I sat with him, the presence of Jesus was with me. And I had an encounter with him just like this woman. And it changed my life changed my life. You see, I came to Christ as an eight-year-old little girl 
and it was very real and very sincere. But I didn't really understand my capability for sin. I didn't understand the gaping hole. Boy, I came in contact with it. I felt exposed. I felt ashamed. I felt humiliated. And Jesus met me there. And he said, Laura, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Even if you are condemning yourself, he does not condemn you. And so that's why I'm asking today to understand the value of the question, will you redeem me? Will you redeem me? It's not just a ticket to heaven, girls. Will you redeem me? Will you free me from captivity? Will you restore my life from a pit? Will you continue to complete the good work in me long after I have fallen short time and time again? That's what's happening with this woman that was caught in adultery. As he says, neither do I condemn you. And then look at what he says to her. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. Now go and leave your life of sin. Here's how the enemy has messed this up for us. The enemy has told us that you serve a God that says, leave your life of sin. Now I won't condemn you. Now I don't condemn you because you've done right, because your behavior has gotten right. And let me tell you something, that's a lie from the pit of hell. We would not need a savior if we could do it on our own. So Jesus says to her, knowing that she now has the power to leave her life of sin because she's encountered the only one that can free her. And he says, I don't condemn you. Now, stand up, woman. I've given back your dignity to you. I've given you the self-worth that you found in these nasty men. Walk out in victory and leave your life of sin. You see, some of us in the room today are so fixated on the struggle that we've lost connection to Jesus. And we've lost connection to Jesus, so we've lost understanding of what redemption actually means. To be redeemed means he bought us back. And as a result of buying us back, he will now free us from captivity. And so here's the thing, I don't have to say yes to that anymore. I don't, when I feel overwhelmed, I don't have to run to Target anymore. I don't have to grab the bottle of wine anymore. I don't have to eat the refrigerator anymore. <laughs> Whatever it is that we do, I don't have to do it. I'll be presented as, it'll always come to me as an option. It'll always present itself as an option. But I don't have to do it. Instead, I can say, Lord, I'm scared. I'm alone. I feel frightened. I don't understand what the future is. This doesn't seem to be getting better. Whatever it is, I can be gut level honest with him. And he meets me there. And he meets me there. And if he'll meet me there, then I get to encounter him again. And I get to move forward in redemption. It's always available. He's always redeeming me. Always redeeming me. I will never live a perfect life. Jesus is the only one that did it. But I can draw on his life that lives through me every single minute of every single day. My needs, my insecurities, my frailties, my shortcomings, none of it surprises him. He's like, Laura, that's exactly why I died. 
Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the woman left her life of sin. In Romans 8, it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that le leads to death. So I want to end today with the same question is, what is it that you're afraid of being exposed about? Because here's where your, your yes will lie back to him. Have I redeemed you? You bet I have, Laura. Okay, now my yes back to you, Lord, is I'm going to take these things and give them to you, and I'm going to experience your presence in the middle of it. I'm going to be honest with you and not just write it in my diary, but I'm actually going to talk to you. I'm actually going to come before the living Christ, and I'm going to share it with him. I'm going to allow him to love me in the middle of my exposure. And then we'll walk out a dignified daughter of the king. I'm going to end with this quote. It says, In the end, it's the joy and wonder of the gospel that will change you permanently. Only that experience sufficiently, re sufficiently reprograms the heart. It's that moment when you experience Jesus in the midst of your junk and you go, oh, He does love me. He is here. And then you can face anything that you're facing. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you today. We thank you so much, God, that you have not left us on our own. Lord, and I thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've not looked down on us and said, now get it right, Laura. Now straighten up. You've said, Laura, I don't condemn you. I died for you. Now believe it and go and leave your life of sin. So, Father, I'm asking today, would you reveal to us those things that we're so afraid to be exposed about and we could take those to you and experience your healing, loving power in our lives and that we'd be women that walk out as dignified, restored, redeemed women. In Jesus' name, amen.